And out of the corner of my eye, I see a maid. That maid is being shot without any hesitation. Yeah, but he has a code. No, no, no. I'm saying I would have panicked. I would have been like, who's there? Boom. Yeah, but you wouldn't have made it past the gate. (laughs) No, I I wouldn't have gotten the tunnel. Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David. And today, I finally watched Sicario. And joining us today, our Denis Villeneuve expert, is once again Garrett. I'm Garrett. You are. So, David, what was your first initial thought on the movie? Actually, better question is, going into this movie, did you expect uh, what this movie ended up being? Or did you kind of have a different thinking of this film? Um, it... Yeah, I, I knew nothing about the story going into it, which I was really happy about. And I actually remember you and I were talking about it like the day before I was going to watch it. And you started to say something. And I was like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to know anything because somehow it's been six years and I don't know anything about this movie. But I obviously I knew like generally it's about cartels um, and it was about agents, you know, trying to stop the cartels. But I didn't know. And I guess I knew Benicio was kind of this like, badass character you know mysterious whatever but i didn't know uh, josh brolin's character and how he related to emily blunt um i didn't know any of that those inner workings and i specifically didn't know how the story went um someone told me that there was a pretty important border crossing scene but other than that i had no information sorry about that that's it's fine but what's really funny about this is um so my wife was supposed to take a trip right when the coronavirus like really like kicked off in the U S and I had a whole list of movies that I wanted to watch while she was gone. And two of those were Sicario and Sicario two. And I think the last one I haven't watched on that list is hateful eight, but I put it off from March of 2020 until now, because we started doing the podcast shortly afterwards. And I was like, well, I know that's what I want to do. And so I've been very patient up until now. And this is actually the last Denis Villeneuve movie that I needed to watch from like Ansandis till the present. I haven't watched any of his stuff before that. Um, and so I was really excited to watch it. It definitely met my expectations. Um, I don't really have like a definitive ranking of his movies. I still think maybe Prisoners might be my favorite. Um, but it was really great. And it did kind of meet what I thought it was going to be. Um, I had high expectations for it and it met those. Like, I don't know that it could have exceeded those because I knew it was going to be good. Garrett, what, uh, how did you first see this movie? And like, you know, what do you think about it? Obviously, like, obviously you like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I am a big fan of this movie and of Denis Villeneuve generally. Um, the movie was recommended to me like repeatedly by my friend Max. And I was just like, no, I, I don't have time. I don't have time. Um, and then I was on an airplane and it was like available and I watched it. It's the best way to watch a film. Obviously. Well, it landed and I wasn't done. <laughs> so I immediately bought it. So that just so that I could finish it. Um, I mean, so obviously I got hooked right away. Big fan of, of the movie. I thought um, on my return flight, I watched Sicario 2. Also, just because like I had to go full circle because Sicario 2 had already come out. Um, But I I went in with very 
low expectations um, naively, and so they were uh, greatly exceeded when I saw it. Can I ask you, uh, why did you go in with low expectations, knowing Denise Villeneuve's like caliber of filmmaking? Also, the fact that this was like all over the Oscars. So I hadn't seen um, the only Denis Villeneuve movie I think I'd seen is Prisoners, which I love, um, but I hadn't necessarily made the connection. And I viewed it as like, oh, it's going to be another like narco movie. And I had recently seen Oliver Stone's movie Savages. Oh, wow. Which, so I was like, eh, like, we'll see. We'll see how this does. So um, you, you weren't a Denis Villeneuve veteran at that point. Yeah, at that point I was not. And then I watched Scarlet 2, which, which he, he didn't make. Um, but I watched Arrival and basically, and Enemy. There we and, go. Yeah, and then I was just like, oh, this. And then obviously Blade Runner 2049. I think Blade Runner, Arrival, and uh, um, Prisoners are kind of mainstream like you can just end up watching those and you know you don't even need to really like him specifically or um film like a connoisseur of film but i feel like if you sat down and watched enemy that's the threshold of making you a denny denny's been new fan yeah i think arrival has to be my first one of his i watched so i think it was arrival then blade runner 2049 then enemy then prisoners and then on sundays which i made garrett watch which is one of the hardest like movies to deal with emotionally after watching it yeah i watched it like in, during the daytime which i think was the right move because i would have had a hard time falling asleep not because like it's not like scary in any way it's just like brutal emotionally uh grueling yeah, and um, you know, it's funny too. So real quick, just talking about the second one, I, in watching that one, was excited. And I told my wife, I was like, this is going to be, this is like more of like the B-movie sequel that they just put out. And it's going to be much more action. And it was not that. And then I like read after I watched it that Denis was actually supposed to direct it, but he couldn't because of Arrival and Blade Runner. And that Emily Blunt even signed on to be in it but they didn't want they didn't feel like they felt like her arc had finished in the first one and they didn't need her for the second one so this was like a whole a whole thing and so i was a little disappointed in that aspect because i just wanted to see benicio go crazy but i think i think we got enough of that in the first one but i, I would have liked more of it in the second where would she have even fit in this this movie like was she signed on contractually and they haven't even written the script yet or she signed on. I don't know that they had the script. And then when they're writing it, the, the writer, Taylor Sheridan, who wrote this, and then he also directed and wrote Wind River, um, was just like, if I put her in, it's going to be a bit part. And he's like, she's too good for that. So I don't really want to do that. Yellowstone. Most successful quarantine television show. Right. Other than the Queen's Gambit. Um, but we can talk about Sicario 2 a little bit more when we get to it. But this was, Garrett, where do you have Sicario? Like, is it like your favorite or is it middle of his movies? Like, what's your, what's your favorite of his? So my favorite is Prisoners. 
Um, there had been a battle for two between this and Enemy. And then I recently rewatched Arrival, and that's yeah. also just so good that I think Arrival caps both this and Enemy. So I think it's Prisoners, Arrival, either Enemy or Sicario, and then Blade Runner 2049. And then Ansan D is at the bottom, in part because I don't think I can ever watch it again. <laughs> yeah, the rewatchability of that is very low. I think I haven't watched Arrival since I bought it and watched it for the first time. And I feel like if I watch it again, that it will be like second for me or maybe even first, but I think probably second. I feel like he's a, he's a very underrated filmmaker as far as um, not his usability in Hollywood. Like obviously he has films, he makes them, but notoriety wise, um, I have this thing, Garrett, with Christopher Nolan that I think he's overrated. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I know. I think Christopher. I'll listen to your podcast. Yeah, I. <laughs> um, I think uh, Christopher Nolan is a great director. I just think he is way. Um, his movies are very high concept, and I and I applaud him for his high concept movies. I just think when you get into the dialogue and the details about the movies, they are not as good as some other directors. Denise Villeneuve however, has high concept movies. And I feel like all aspects of his movies are really, really great. Um, and I, f I feel like he should be more mainstreamed and applauded for his efforts than... Well, I think he's about to be. He does have Dune right around the corner. See, and I think maybe that's going to be his... I don't want to say big break, but you know what I mean? Like, to mainstream. Well, well and the other thing, too, is what he did with Blade Runner. Because... And Alana and I have talked about this before, and this isn't going to be a popular opinion among people who watched Blade Runner when they were young or when it came out. But I like Blade. I watched them back to back during quarantine or right before. I like 2049 better. And I think, and it's actually pretty highly rated, even though I think people think the first one's better for the most part. But the fact that he was able to take something like that and have that much success mm -hmm. with it and have people who were like, that was an impossible task and you did a pretty damn good job, I think is, is amazing. And then, yeah, he had that and then now he's going to have Dune. So I think, and the other thing about him too is if you t take like, I mean, all of the, a lot, the movies have a lot of the same feel to them, but the, what they're about, you know, Arrival, Prisoners, Sicario, Enemy, Ensemble's, they're all completely different like types of stories. Like he's not pigeonholed in what he's doing. Although with Blade Runner and then Dune, maybe. But I do like that he's like doing a bunch of different type of stuff. I agree. I also think that he has, with Blade Runner 2049, um, he got the best out of a number of actors. Like Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Anna de Armas, Jared Leto. Like, are you taking? I don't understand. Are you like, is that a shot at those people? Like, what? Or... No, I'm saying that, like, that is in my mind. If you were to like put a group of actors together and be like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a good movie, I would think that is a very eclectic group of people that you have right there. I don't see how they fit at all. We also so, made, he made Dave Batista's career. Yeah. Um, 
I had issues with 2049 as far as, and you know, we're not here to really talk about 2049. So we'll, we'll get into, um, what yeah, was we'll the, movie? the movie? Sicario. Uh, we'll get into Sicario in a, in a sec. Um, my biggest issue with 2049 is that I felt like, unlike the first Blade Runner, where a bunch of nothing is going on, and there, and I felt I always felt like they were always trying to stretch the plot from point A to point B, um, very slowly. I felt like too much was going on in 2049, uh, to the point where I didn't think some characters had enough screen time, and some characters didn't have enough uh impact on our main character um one of those characters specifically being jared leto i felt like he was a real throwaway villain and i'm sad that they didn't really do more with his with his arc and his character because i felt like it was like the intro to him it's like oh that's our villain and maybe one other scene and then he's pretty much done his, his character was too weird to keep filming he turned into the Joker halfway through. Speaking of not a slow start, what do you think of the start of Sicario? That opening shot and scene where we get very few words, but a whole lot of information. Well done. I um, first of all, I love any movie that starts with like an opening title sequence, like giving me some factoid that's badass that I didn't know. So talking about like the zealots from Jerusalem, like hunting romans with like tiny daggers and that's where sicario comes from i was like thank you for that and now it's a mexican word for hitman right i i love the opening shot of them like the view of the the basically the car that's being driven into the house um that's such a cool shot to me like the the way it was done and then that there's just so much like information packed into that little bit but it's just like it's it's also just like probably the hardest to watch scene in the movie yeah i like the contrast though like at the very very beginning you've got like this kind of nothing shot but it's beautifully shot with like these very gray but very like not gray like tan like a lot of bright colored like homes and mountains in the day and then these dark figures with guns just like creeping into the frame and you're like something big is about to happen holy shit i always enjoy a movie that sets the tone of the entire film in like the first scene um and and with that kind of shot that you're talking about garrett i feel like it almost did that in the first shot like in the very first frame when you see those characters creeping up um going through the scene um and seeing kind of like the the gore, the explosion, the body parts, that entire opening is exactly what you get throughout the rest of the movie, you know? Um, so it, it definitely gives you everything right there. And you're expecting this kind of action-packed sort of film, I guess, with this kind of maybe little bit of uh, spy thriller feel to it. But what I found really interesting is that the rest of the film is like, apart from the highway scene, is pretty um, slow, which is nice, I think, which is, which I always say it's, it's one of those films that has a really 
strong first 30 minutes and a really strong last 30 minutes. Um, and then in the middle is kind of that build that bridge from one to the other. Yeah, I agree. I also, I really love when you, when they go into the house and she gets shot at and she's like, why did he shoot at me? There's nothing here. And then you all kind of look in that hole in the wall and they start ripping it apart. And there's this shot as Daniel Kaluuya is ripping it out where you can see the wall behind him is freshly like plastered too. And if you watch it again, you can notice all the hallways are. But when you see that shot and then you see the body, like the face coming out the next shot, you're like, holy shit, this whole house is bodies. And like, you can pick that up very quickly. And then like, as they just keep going through and he shows those bodies so many times throughout the scene as like different stuff is happening as they've like moved kind of sort of past it. He keeps just like, there'll just be a shot where he's like focused in on it. Cause he wants you to like, remember the brutality of like what has happened. And I really like the shot where it's like just a couple bodies that they've uncovered. And then basically the next shot, like it's a, it's a hard cut to all the bodies being exposed in the walls. And I thought that was a really cool way to do it. I, I really like how they never tell you that it smells disgusting like dead flesh. Instead, everyone is just kind of like gagging a little bit. And then Emily Blunt tells Daniel Kalua that she's like, you can go outside. And he just walks outside and pukes. And it's just like, like dry heaving because it's just such a pungent odor. I want to ask you guys what you thought, like, it opens with Kaluye kind of staring at her and then her like looking over him like, wait, like, why is it, you know, why is he staring at me? I almost thought from that little bit, I was like, oh, is she like, he's like questioning why she's on this. You know what I mean? Like I was trying to read all into it. And then um, that obviously is not what, what it is, but she like, she's the one that sends him outside and almost gets him killed, which I thought was, was kind of funny, but their relationship throughout the movie is like very interesting to me because they never, spell it out but it's like is he in love with her i don't know i feel like that's I, what you got from it i feel like they've had sex really well because it, i mean she's like you're you know the last person to see me in my bra was you she's so comfortable being around him um maybe they haven't but it feels like they might have i feel like as they were partners like well, they are police partners. I, I take it as he is in love with her and she is probably aware of it, but going to ignore it because she likes the friendship. Oh, then that really sucks when he like basically sets her up with his friend at the bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but like the way that they talk at the bar mission, he's like, you know, you got to work on your eyebrows. You used to be the number one draft pick. Like the way that he talks to her, I'm just like, that's a weird thing to say to someone. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're just close. The other thing from this opening scene is um, when they find the floorboard in the shed, I thought I noticed it moving. I thought I did too. And I think it was just the, the officers like moving it. But when I first saw it, I was like, oh shit. So they're down there and then it explodes, but there is no like information like, oh yeah, there was more people down there. And, but it, well, like it, it, that, that part does, it freaks you out more. And I also thought, I thought Kaluuya was going to die in this scene because this is like the first big American thing he's done. This is like two years before Get Out. 
Like, I thought he was a character that was brought in to die. And spoiler alert, he doesn't die in the movie ever. Ever. But, but I, like, really, I was expecting, especially when she sends him outside and then there's the explosion. Like, I didn't think he was making you, it. You were in for a whole different movie then because you were like, oh, he's, she's going to send him outside. He's going to die in the explosion. And then her guilt from doing that is a whole thing we have to go through with the movie. As, no, David, it's none of that. I also thought when she tells that guy, uh, the guy's like, hey, what do you want me to tell the U.S. attorney? And she's like, the truth. And I was like, that guy's probably like, well, that's fucking vague. Like, yeah. <laughs> give me some direction here. I do want to mention the second movie real quick. Uh, now that we talked about the opening to the first, is that the first movie started off with um, one explosion, which I thought was pretty impactful. It, it kind of got the whole movie going from there. But then I felt like just to kind of like um, prove itself, the second movie had to start with like four explosions just right off the bat. I was like, all right, all right, whoa, slow down, second movie. I don't want to be the guy to question that mom with the little girl, but you either run to the corner of the store or you run out. But the slow walking thing, what the fuck are you doing? I was so angry when I, I was like, just book it. Like either sprint. go to the back of the store away from, go away from the guy with the bomb fast, not slow. It's not a bear. It's, it's not a T-Rex. It's like it's vision is by movement. Just like get out of there. But she probably didn't want to like trigger him like, oh, he's going to see people running out of the stores. Boom. But I mean, it was boom anyways. It didn't matter. I mean, there are three other booms already. Like, and there were people running. I just, I was like, why? Like, I don't know. She was, she was in shock. I, 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 I don't know. Just for clarification, this is where we are talking about the second movie, not the first movie. It's nothing to do with the first film. After the explosion that almost killed David uh, Coulier, uh, we move on to kind of their debriefing, I would say. Yeah, we meet Josh. What were your thoughts on Josh Brolin? Like in this, in this movie, when you, like what are your expectations going in? And then what's your initial reaction? I, I didn't think he was going to be this douchebag, not sure what his job is. It's like almost never really confirmed until the very end that he's CIA. I actually wrote like in my notes initially, I was like, do they ever, do we ever find out where he works? But then like in one of the last scenes, he's like, well, the CIA needs a domestic organization in order to operate in the US. I was like, okay, so there's him admitting he's CIA. Um, but I expected him to just be like a more normal straight character. And he's not, he's like this boss that- I don't know what you're talking about. As soon as I saw his fucking flip-flops, I knew he was some sort of like secret agent. No, no, no. Yeah, that's, I, yeah, everyone knows that. But I'm saying before I saw that part, I, I like, I didn't expect this to be this like intra-agency thing with like Emily Blunt. I, I, I expected more for her to be like, my brother was like really complains about Emily Blunt's character in this because she's just always whining. And I was like, that's a bit harsh. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's what the director wanted. But then when I watched it, like, she's not whining. I do have some nitpicks when we get to it about her, not maybe motivations, but also just like her actions that she takes. Uh, I think she could have done things smarter. Um, but as soon as you see Brolin, yeah, you know, especially the sandals. The sandals are a dead giveaway, which is why they like hard cut onto them. <laughs> <laughs> like for two seconds so you can know before watching this in my state of mind i watched um no country for old men and that's a very very different brolin i mean also <laughs> a total badass but not like the guy in charge 
And so when I was watching this, right, like David said, they do a very hard pause on his sandals just to let you know that he does not care. Like, he is in charge. He doesn't care. And then when the first thing he says to Emily Blunt is, are you married? And she, like, tries to get him to acknowledge that that's not really an appropriate question. And he just goes, yeah, but, like, do you have a husband? I was immediately, I was like, oh, this guy is going to be such an asshole. Like, there's something about him. I took it as... Well, okay, so one, I took it as he has to ask these questions to her for us to kind of understand what kind of character he is. Um, But then, secondly, like practically, I thought he was asking those types of questions like, how much do you have to lose as a person? Are you married? Do you have kids? Are people waiting for you back home? Like, I thought he was kind of reading like, how expendable is she? That's what I took from it. At least. Yeah. Are you, are you willing to die for this? What's cool, by the way, no country for old men. Also the cinematographer on that is Roger Deakins. And I read that Brolin passed on this movie and then Deakins wrote him a letter saying, you need to reconsider and you need to take this. And then Brolin did that because he thought it was so strange that Deakins would do that. Like it was so out of character for him to like have that opinion. And so he came on to Sicario because of that. Wait, so Deacon DP'd Sicario and? Yes. And 2049? And Prisoners. Yeah. Roger Deakins is probably like the best cinematographer going right now. I agree. He should have won his Oscar a long, long time ago. Um, I'm just surprised that this didn't seem like a Deacon shot film, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, some I think because the the palette is very desert, so maybe. But there's some shots, like the shot where they're flying to Mexico, and the just I don't even know how they did it. If they, I guess they had maybe an actual plane, but the shot of the shadow of the plane going over this mountainous region, so fucking badass. And I was like, there's some shots in this that are definitely like his entire highway scene that we're gonna get to in a couple minutes here. Um, now that you say it, is like a really skilled cinematographer could have only shot that the way it was shot for you to completely understand and like the chaos that you knew exactly what was going on. So now that you say that it was Deacon, that makes a lot of sense. Um, But the other thing I want to say about Brolin and this, I, I, you know, this more, it makes more sense when the movie's over, but when he, uh, when he finds out that Reggie is a uh, Daniel Kaluuya is a lawyer and he's like, no lawyers on this train. Like, you know exactly what he's about. And you like, it even makes more sense at the end. Um, the other thing about this scene is you get a lot of information in it. That is very important to the end of this movie and to the second movie. And you never really hear it again. So it's like, if you don't remember it. So first they talk about how like Manny Diaz owns all these houses and he owned the house from today. And that he is the highest uh, person in the Sonora cartel stationed in the U.S. And then we find out about Guillermo is his brother. And then Fausto Alacaron or Alcaron is the third highest person in the Sonora cartel. And that plays huge into the, into the second one because we're then sort of going after the highest person in the Sonora cartel in the second one. 
Reyes, right? Well, right. But Fausto is also his cousin. Right, right. Yeah, he's the he's the cousin of uh, Diaz, the U.S. contact. Um, but it's just like all of that information is so important, and they don't go over it again in the second one. It's like you better have kept up. Like they 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 sort of talk around it, but if you don't know it, you don't understand what they're saying. And so when I rewatched it, I was like, this is very important. And it's like, they don't spell it out for you ever again. So pay attention. Well, they, they do kind of remind you of its importance without saying what it is. Like when um, Daniel Kalua is repeatedly being like, what's the objective? What's the mission objective? Um, that kind of is a reminder to the audience. Like, what are we actually doing here? Because, like, spoiler alert, I'm not sure we actually found out any information um, from Guillermo. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It, that's um, all, all it did was it got Diaz to Manuel Diaz to return to Mexico, which is what they wanted because then they could see where he goes. Well, we find out about the tunnel, but we found out about the tunnel like a minute earlier from the prosecutor. Yeah, which suggests that that's not something we found out from Diaz. Or from Guillermo, you mean? Yeah, yeah, sorry, from Guillermo. Right, yeah, so that is, yeah, we could talk about it, we get to it, but that is true. And I have more questions about the tunnel. My biggest questions are in this movie are about the tunnel. The other, real quick, before we leave this scene, the other great part about this is I love when she asks, like, what is our objective with Guillermo? And he's like, our objective is to dramatically overreact. Now, what I think is great about his character is he's fairly open with her. Like he hides like very key details from her. But throughout the movie, he is explaining like, hey, we're trying to cause chaos. That is the whole mission here. Um, and it's like, I do think a little bit sometimes it's like she kind of like, acts like she doesn't know what's going on but she really kind of should know a little more than she she does um and i also like she was given the option to take this and her one question is like are we going to have the opportunity to get the people from today and they're like the real people yeah we're going to get them she's like well i'm in and i think that is like the crux of she has like an internal conflict about what uh josh boland's character does she's not just one-sided about it maybe in the end she is but throughout, she, she does go back and forth on, like, what are we doing here? Maybe this is right. No, we should be following, like, protocol. Um, and I think that's cool. Um, I was pretty fucking sick of her protocol following. I was like, Jesus, lady, bend some rules once in a while. Live! Um, <laughs> what I, I liked that she said, though, is when Daniel Kalua is, like, giving her a hard time about this, and she, she just kind of says what we do every day, like we are getting nothing done. These guys are, at, this will actually make a difference. And it's almost like she is in that moment trying to say, well, the ends justify the means. And th that's the part I was talking about, right? Cause when she's with Josh Brolin, she's like, what are we doing? That was fucking illegal. What, like, why don't we like at the bank heist that we'll get to or the, ba the bank part, she's like, why don't we arrest him? Like, and she's like, actually do something we should be doing. But then when she's with Kaluye in that one scene, where he sees her in his bra, in her bra. Um, I was like, whoa, David was in his bra? I had a different cut. So, but in that scene, she's like, she kind of defends what's happening. And it's because she's like, sort of a little bit of two minds, like, this is bad. But then when she's, you know, she's almost like playing devil's advocate with both sides here, because she just doesn't know 
she's tired of finding bodies of innocent people because of these cartels. But at the same time, she like, she knows like, this is the way, like what's right and what's wrong. I think that's cool. So at this point in the movie, um, they convince her to come with them to El Paso. Uh, and <laughs> she was like, Oh, we're taking like this plane. They're like, yeah, we're taking this plane. She's like to El Paso. And they're like, come on, like, just get on the fucking plane. Um, And then I love when she comes back from that. And he's like, uh, David clearly is like, so how is El Paso? And she's like, like, completely traumatized from the events in Mexico. She's like, we weren't, we weren't in El Paso. (laughs) Well, even Josh Brolin, like mumbles, like they get on the plane, and she's clearly uncomfortable. And she's like, so we're going to El Paso. And he's like, pretending to be asleep. He's like, the El Paso, greater El Paso area. What I also think is funny too is, one, why did he drive her? Does she not have her own car? Daniel Coulier drives her to the Air Force Base where they fly out. Um, and then also like an Air Force Base would not let an FBI agent drive someone onto the base for a mission. I, I, like, I find that a little bit suspect to me that they wouldn't be like, all right, go real quick. You can, I have no you can idea drive her you can drive her up to the gate, but you, you have to turn around, sir. Oh, I like his reaction too. He's like, well, what the fuck is she supposed to do? <laughs> you want her to his, walk in? His character was solely there to ask the same questions that the audience is asking. Right. Real quick, too, before they get to the Air Force Base, we do get the cop and the son side story. And is we don't have to talk about it throughout because it's basically the same scene keeps getting repeated just to remind you about this cop. But as soon as we saw him, I was like, this is going to be a will he or won't he die situation. And I was like, why, why do you got to do this to me, Denis? Like, I don't, I don't want this, but I was sort of surprised on how his story played out. Like, I didn't think he was going to be kind of a dirty cop. I thought he was going to be just a cop that gets caught in the crossfire. Um, but I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to like learn about this guy and his son and just see him die later. That's not cool, man. But he, even... he was additional emotional angst and turmoil. I thought it was good. I liked it. I, I especially liked how it just brought the whole thing back around at the end. I got the very, very end of the movie, which is again, like David said, you don't need that because that just tugs at the heartstrings. But then what, what, I, what I found interesting about this movie as a whole is See, we as Americans probably have like two views of Mexico. One, oh, it's a great place to vacation. Cancun is amazing. And two, oh, that's where all the illegals and drugs are coming from, right? Um, but this movie really hits the part where it's like, no, no, no. Mexico is just a shit place. Like, it is awful. Like, everything you know about Mexico it's way worse than you ever could imagine. Well, some parts of it. Cause like, even when he talks about when Alejandro uh, Benicio talks to his prosecutor friend, he's like, well, I'm in Monterey now. He's like, Oh, much better. Like, cause you're not in Juarez anymore. Um, so it's like, there are, there are safer parts and there are worse parts. And it's like, it didn't, the- it didn't matter. It, they could have <laughs> said that David, but the parts that they were showing never wants me. Like, I don't want to ever step foot there. No, yeah, it, it, the, the way it's it's portrayed is definitely um, scary. I would love to live in Fausto Alcaron's house. Just putting that out there is that outdoor dining area looked absolutely beautiful. 
Yeah, I wonder where that house was because that that was yeah that was that was really nice. Um, this does lead to the border scene, and like you talked about how uh, Josh Brolin is like falling asleep, and she's like, "Oh, DOD gets planes," and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you guys don't get planes," and it's because she clearly knows he's CIA. Like that's the like the <laughs> biggest like open secret of the entire movie is that this guy is not who he says he is. Um, but yeah, the border scene is probably like. It's the big, it's the big takeaway of this. And like, this is like the, you know, going into this, that there's going to be action because like they get into this debriefing and they're like, yeah, we're going to the border. Uh, We're going to pick up this guy. It's either going to be at the extraction or it's going to be at the border, probably going to be at the border. And then Alejandro, even when they pick up the guy, he's like, don't worry, nothing's happening here. It's going to happen at the border. (laughs) It's like this whole (laughs) setup where the movie's just like, Hey, borders about to happen so i i think that's one of the most important parts of the movie um even though watching again i was quite surprised that that border scene comes so early onto the film it's like at the 40 minute mark um and and that debriefing part where they explain like what's going to go down um i can't even call it foreshadowing because they basically just told you like not like I take foreshadowing as more like hinting or suggesting something that's about to happen, you know, in a kind of a different way than it was hinted or suggested, but this happens exactly the way they say it's going to happen. Um, especially at the part, David, where you're talking about where they're like, no, 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 it's not going to happen at the extraction. Oh, okay. We need something to happen in this movie at this point. Right. Um, but what did you think? One of my favorite shots and I could tell it's like the producer's favorite shot because they used it exactly the same way in the second one is that giant aerial overhead shot of you see all the SUVs fall into formation. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I was wondering like how the fuck they did that. And apparently the border crossing, they rebuilt it. They created it because they needed to film there so much. That makes sense. I was like, I was like that's nuts. Um, it's so cool. Before we get to that, though, so I read that Benicio had a ton more dialogue in this and that he just went to the writer and he went to Denis and was just like, hey, this guy's probably going to be a more silent type. And they cut 90% of his dialogue. But I love the part where he like, when Emily's blunt is finally like, hey, who the fuck are you? Like, what is this? And he's like, well, I was a prosecutor in Juarez. Um, Now I work, uh, you know, I live in Cartagena and she's like, and like, you know, Cartagena, you hear Colombia and you're in this world. She's like, all right. So just like a different, like a Colombian cartel guy. Um, but I love his line of like, nothing will make sense to your American eyes, but in the end you'll understand. Um, which is like kind of the way the whole movie works for the audience too. And then she comes out and she's, she goes at Brolin, like, I can't take orders from Alejandro. And he's like, then fucking stay back. Like, I don't need you on this. Like, if you want to go, then go. But if you are going to go, like, this is how it goes. Like, you know, get in or get out. Also, the way they set up Alejandro as this force, right? Because it's like, you really uh, want this guy on your side, especially the interrogation thing with the waterboarding. And he just comes in with the water jug and stuff like that. And, um, uh, that the one guy is just like, yo, I'm, I'm out of here and just leaves. And Josh Brolin is just like, why, 
to the to the hostage like why why are you looking at me don't look at me look at him you know and you, you just no 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 and <laughs> uh yeah it's just the way they we're said gonna, it. we're gonna talk about that scene in detail trust me but, when it comes but before i feel like we've talked about the border crossing scene so many times without actually talking about it but speaking of building up alejandro is like when they're doing that like kickoff meeting it's like the ultimate old boys club like the only non-military guy in in the room is emily blunt and they're all like you know joking around with one another and like oh who are the deltas who will hide behind when people start shooting and Alejandro is like, Benicio Del Toro has just like folded his jacket and is just like sitting there silently as though like, I am better at everything than everyone else in here. Yeah, they, they establish him so much as a badass that he doesn't really have to show it that much in this movie. Like throughout the two movies, you don't really get to see like the full extent of how good he is. Because like he doesn't, like they, they've established it. They don't really need to show it. Um, and everyone looks to him. Yeah. A lot. The the next part as they're driving to get Guillermo is like, like first of all the establishing shots are so pretty. The score that plays throughout this movie we haven't talked about is so like menacing. Similar to parts of Arrival. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's supposed to play a little like Jaws too. Um, But like as you that the driving to get Guillermo does scare the shit out of you of never wanting to go to Mexico. (laughs) Like if you're like, that's what this is? Yeah. Like yeah, it's like propag- it's like anti-Mexican propaganda is what I felt like I was watching at points of this film where they're, where they're driving and you just see bodies, like uh, mutilated bodies that are hung off of highway overpasses and no one's getting them down. Everyone's like, yes, mm, very nice. Huh. Early for this. It's brilliant what they do here. It's brilliant. Yeah, this is Burn Notice's turn to shine right here with his, like, first of all, his Taft story, which I didn't look up if it's true, but I'm just going to believe it's true until I, until I remember to. Um, yeah, and then him talking about, like, oh, it's just so smart. Because if you mutilate the bodies, then they think they did something bad. And I was like, I, I guess. I guess. I guess. I mean, hung bodies off of a highway over- overpass unmutilated, I would assume that they did something bad. Let's get, let, we're, we're here now. Let's talk about this border crossing. My main takeaway from this, and I want to say it first, but in, in case one of you guys are too smart and say it too. I love how realistic it is. And Garrett sent me an article that I had read too, where like military.com rated it as like a super realistic scene. But you have these guys come in, in these, like the guys in the Civic and the guys in like the red car. It's a red Impala. Thank you. Clearly look like Mexican gangbangers. Like one of the dudes has tattoos everywhere. The other guy like pulls out a gun. I love that there isn't some like movie bullshit where there's like a hidden third car that they didn't see with this guy in a suit and glasses who like looks unsuspecting. I love how realistic it is. It's like these guys are trained. They're able to pick out the cars. They immediately know who it is. There's no surprises. There's one surprise that's very... Well, there's, yeah, I was going to say, but, there's a surprise. But I just love how, like, real to life it seems, and there isn't some, like, let's cool script writing thing to make it seem, like, cooler. I just want to you- say one thing real quick, because I, um, I think between the two of you, you're going to pick apart this scene pretty well. But I, I do want to mention, and it goes back to the cinematography, I, l- I love, as I say, I like, no, 
I love how the camera is inside the Humvee with our main characters, right? And we see it from their point of view. We see the red Impala. We see the other car. We see the gangbangers. We see the um, nose of the rifle peeking out from the bottom. Um, and if we just stuck at that perspective, it would have been fine. But what I really thought elevated the scene is the fact that a little later on in the same scene before all the shooting starts, the cameraman is now inside the car of our gangbangers and we are seeing from their level our guy, our main characters and all their guns that they have. And I think without that scene, um, at least for me, not it, I'm talking about the Red Impala. I'm not talking about the other one because the other one you can clearly see the gun pointing out of the window. The Red Impala, you can't, they, they just look suspicious, right? But being in there with them, you know that they're up to something nefarious, which leads the like the next couple of, of shots, um, I guess, justified in my eyes. I just wanted to point out that I love how we we're in the car with them at a certain point. I 100% agree with you, Alon, and I love it too. And I love the contrast that we get with them entering Mexico and the clean border, and it's so well orchestrated. And then we're looking at it from above in the whole picture. And then on the way back, as they roll up, they go, well, this is a clusterfuck. And then we're now inside the car and we don't have that worldview. I, I also like the contrast of You've got all these tactical, I don't even know what I'm saying, these guys who know what the fuck they're doing. And then you have Emily Blunt, who says the word fuck like 11 times in this scene and is clearly like, on a, like she's, she's out of her element, right? And I, I just think that does a lot to enhance how well-trained these guys are. And the, the burn notice guy had even told us when they land the plane in El Paso, He's like, I got a great team for you. Like these guys just rotated back from Afghanistan. And like Well, to be clear, they did land the plane in El Paso. They just then drove straight to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Once again, he didn't lie. Also, broken down car at the Mexican border. Is that are we can we call that a MacGuffin? Is that what is that just a that's a plot device? Is that how MacGuffins like, work? I, I think the point was right. So, so okay, so I watched this scene very recently, like a couple hours ago. And I was to, Lauren and I were talking about this. It's like, you would think the U.S. would have it well enough organized that they would have a clear lane, right? Like, we know what's going on. Um, but two things, like, one, did they want to notify border personnel of what was happening well ahead of time, right? The more people that know, the more people can leak it. Well, they and, said they're supposed to have a clear lane. Yeah. Well, and then two, like, they're all aware, like, they're going to attack us at the border. They're going to attack us at the border. Like, how quickly could CBP get a broken down car out of there i'm i'm confused what are you guys talking about what broken down car uh, the, the reason, reason it's a clusterfuck yeah the reason they get stopped they're like oh shit there's a broken down car we're clearing it out one thing i thought of and i didn't really think of this until now i was like how did those gangbangers time them so well to get next to them it's just backed too. up cars they don't mention this but that broken down car could have been part of it that, that's what i'm saying i think it had to be like it, they could have like, but the, the but fact you that saw it, didn't you see it when they were coming in, when they were coming in and that aerial shot, you saw the broken down car in the, in the, in the lanes out 
from Mexico to the U.S. as our characters were coming in from the U.S. to Mexico. So that broken down car has been there the entire time that they entered and the time that they're coming out. I did not notice that. That I mean, that would that that would be a cool detail, though. Um, but that also, also means it was foreseeable and something it could have been prepared for. The other thing I'm, too, exactly. The other thing too is you could probably have like a feder, you know, a federale in the end tries to shoot Emily Blunt, which is why he tried to shoot her in the car instead of the other people. And I will say her situational awareness to see that it gets the one point where she gets to be badass in the movie, and I think she pulls it off. But um, eh, I think she has two, oh, two. three. All right, well, okay. we'll talk about them when we get to them. But anyway. One of them um, was at the very beginning when she dives and shoots him. That was, that, that was I mean, I guess. <laughs> I've never been shot at. I think it's pretty badass to avoid. I think she got at. lucky. I think she got lucky. Did you see how close that, that, that bullet, I think it was a shotgun that left yeah. a hole in the wall? How yeah, close it got to her fucking face? Also, why didn't that shotgun shell, why didn't the shotgun shells, like, destroy the head of, like, the dummy in that wall? I thought it shot were, past it. It's pretty, it's pretty lucky. Also, it's pretty lucky that it even hit the wall. Otherwise, were they going to find all those bodies until like a week from Thursday? Right, right. Uh, well, I mean, the smell, like I'm pretty sure they could have still smelled it. Maybe it would have been harder because it was, you know, locked up. It, it did just occur to me that that guy not only missed Emily Blunt's head, but a completely non-moving body, like missed two headshot opportunities. Yeah, he deserved to die. Uh, the other thing that the, the last thing in the scene, unless you guys have more, but they talk about the rules of engagement on this. I think it's pretty cool. Like the way it's, it, it kind of sets it up as like, you know, we only can do what they can do. And it's like, if, if you're a person who doesn't understand that, if you haven't seen other movies such as rules of engagement with uh, Samuel Jackson, and Tommy Lee Jones, then you don't maybe know how that works. But I love how they set up like, this is the most restrictive rules of engagement where you can only protect yourself like as like a last resort and then there's at the end when it's like guns free like kill everybody um i think it's pretty cool i thought they gave him a fair chance i thought they were like hey you know um get back in the car drop your weapons and they didn't and they you know they went to shoot at him and that's kind of what they got you know But, but one thing that right that happens even before this scene that kind of lets you know these guys probably won't get back in their car is when they're talking about well, why did Manuel Diaz just or not Manuel Diaz why did um uh Guillermo Guillermo give it up it's like I guess it happens afterwards but it, it kind of clarifies the option is you don't do what you're supposed to do and you end up like a mutilated dead body hanging from an overpass or you get a clean shot, I guess, to the head or chest, or you get time in an American prison. Which yeah. weirdly, the like quick death in American pr- prison sound more preferable. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you can't, it's just choosing that, like, hey, they had guns. <laughs> it's great, you're Sorry. about to get mutilated. And yeah, what's the next mission? Let, let's do the next mission. We'll worry about that one. But Guillermo's <laughs> gone. It's game over. Um, and your, your point, Alon, brings me to like a question I really had is Emily, when they get back, Emily Blunt starts screaming, that was fucking illegal. And I was like, maybe, but I don't have any problem with what went down there from a moral standpoint. Like maybe they're, they shouldn't have been doing what they're doing. They shouldn't have been grabbing Guillermo. Um, although her boss later on tells her like, Hey, everything you're doing is fine. Like there's nothing out of bounds 
the boundaries have been moved, which is a fucking badass line. Um, but morally, like, I agree with you, Lon. Like, they gave him a chance. They were there, clearly there to kill them, and they were yeah. not backing down. And then that dude raised his gun. And then Burn noticed, like, he gives less of a chance to the, to the Honda Civic. I mean, f- fuck the Honda Civic. Um, the, the other thing um, that I want to mention is as they're driving away, and Emily Blunt is freaking out, like, this is going to be all over the news. And Josh Brolin's like, this isn't even going to fucking make it to the El Paso time, like the weekly. Um, right. Like, and, and it's true. I mean, do you, I guess more so now, like kind of like in the last four or five years, but before we became, you know, hyper aware of the media, you don't, you as an American really only hear shit that goes down in America and if it goes down somewhere else, it's only because it's affecting us directly. You don't really hear, oh, a bunch of Mexican cartels died today. You, you just don't hear that, you know? Um, the next scene is uh, the Guillermo scene. Um, I love the part between the prosecutor and him before that, where he's just like, you know, just chatting him up. We get a little background of, he says he was a prosecutor, but now it's like really true because you, you don't know how much you can trust Benicio and Brolin in this. But like I said, they may omit things, but they are tending to tell us the truth. Um, but I do like at the end. This is where we learn about the tunnel, which you talked about. And I agree, like, what did Guillermo actually give us? Um, but I love when he tells him the prosecutor is going to come in with him. He's like, no, no, you don't. You don't want to see what's about to go down. Like, Let's give you some plausible deniability. Wait, Alon, what do you think happened in the interrogation? Yeah, I think you said waterboarding already. That's what they alluded to. I mean, especially when you brought in the the big jug of water. Um, I mean, man, anything from like fingernails, maybe like a couple of like fingers broken. Um there well so in the second movie i'm uh, trying to think i'm trying to think what what he would because in the second movie he went straight to water waterboarding well no in the second movie he's like we're not going to waterboard you because we're not in america so i can just i can move past that um i texted this to garrett and i was like is it implying that alejandro raped guillermo in that room because why is he sticking his dick in his face and then why that's do we hear... what you got from it and then i was like why is do we just hear grunting afterwards and i why well, i think the purpose of the scene is to whatever they show us can't be as awful as what we could imagine being happening because it could be anything so it's like immediately as a as a viewer your worst imagination of like the thing that would terrify you the most is probably what you think is happening and so that's why i th- Benicio <laughs> del Toro scares, scares me. No, I'm just like, why is he sticking his dick in his face? Like, what, what's I thought the point? it was a power move. I thought it was like, I thought it was a power move. I thought it was being, being kind of like, animalistic. The uh, first time I watched it, I thought he was gonna pee on him, because because Alejandro's like chugging water, and then he gets like dick in his face. And then the shot. How do both of you think Benicio del Toro is going to take his dick out in this movie? I mean, the shot—it's its center frame. Yeah, I mean, he just keeps moving further and further in, just like pelvic thrusts. 
Um, I do love the line of now you'll learn what hell is in Yankee land. That's a, it's a good line. <laughs> I mean, but he's also like, I mean, Guillermo's probably seen some shit. He's probably ordered some shit. So I don't know. Um, the next scene is them going to Tucson. I'm with, sorry. Uh, I just can't get over the fact that you thought he was hate fucking the interrogate <laughs> in the interrogation scene. I mean, we do know what was done to Benicio del Toro's like wife and daughter at this point, don't we? Or do we yeah. not know? Uh, we do not know. We don't find that out until the yeah. last 20 minutes of the movie. Okay. Um, I've I just think, seen this so many times that I'm like, I mean, I've probably seen this movie 10 times. I think Benicio can be, can be capable of a lot, Alon. And I think that may be something that he might have done. But I'm not saying that's what it's saying. I'm just saying it's what it could have been. Okay, David. On to Tucson. Um, I love when uh, when Daniel Kaluuya asks if she's all right. Josh Brolin answers. He's like, I didn't ask you. He's like, and yet I still answer. <laughs> Such a great line. Josh Brolin is very good at being an asshole in this movie. He also aged like 10 years from the first one to the second one. He looks so young in the first one. It looks so fucking old in the second one. Hey, that's what happens when you become Thanos. Yeah, I guess. Um, what's crazy is that I watched, I must have watched Sicario when the hype was around um, because the second one was coming out. So in my head, they came out pretty close together, which I know that's not true. And I'm trying to get my timeline straight because when you guys are talking about so sicario came out in 2015 and then sicario the sequel came out in 2018 so i'm trying to wrap my head around it's like what else was happening around that 2015 mark that um uh roland and benicio but wasn't guardians of the galaxy happening around that time so that would make sense for, for like, I don't know, when you said Benicio cut like 90% of his dialogue down, I'm like, maybe he just didn't want to fucking say any, like, he had other shit to memorize, you know? I think it's more effective this way than him talking a lot. Um, I, I, I think it's setting him up, the most like important thing in this movie is to set up how much of a badass he is. And I think the silence does that. And the, the the carefully chosen words, like when they're in the car and he's got his cool sunglasses on, and Emily Blunt just keeps asking questions that everyone ignores, and he just looks at her and he's like, "Welcome to Juarez." Like, I, it, I love the line to Daniel Kaluuya after he's like, he they ask him for information and they tell him like, "Hey, listen, we know there's a tunnel. Guillermo told us." And she's like, "Oh, Guillermo just told you, huh?" Like she knows that there is you know torture going on. And he's like, hey, we know there's a tunnel. We need to find it because uh, Manny's going to go in and we want to try, we want to cause as much trouble. So Manny comes back out. And I love Benicio's line. First of all, he's like, getting rid of Fausto would be like getting a vaccine. He's like, you guys can understand that, right? And then Daniel Kaluuya is like, all right, we're cool. Just don't keep us in the dark. And he's like, and Benicio's like, you're afraid of the dark? So fucking badass. Um, we get to that scene where they are dividing up. I guess they were immigrants right? in the buses. They're dividing them up. I love the way Benicio del Toro goes up to them and 
you could see it on Emily Blunt's face that she's like, why is he asking those questions? Like that doesn't make sense. But then as he's like going with it, it, it makes perfect sense. Like the way he's asking it is awesome. Cause he's a, for, he's a former prosecutor. He knows how to get to the right answer through questions. Well, he's asking them also in a way to not scare them off so quickly. He's asking yeah, and, them in a, in a roundabout way to be like, Hey, this is how I'm going to get the truth. Not a bunch of BS. Well, and he also, yeah, he, like Garrett said, like a prosecutor, you don't want, they're obviously going to be scared of you because they're being held up here. They're in a place they've been captured. Um, they're in a place they're not supposed to be. And he doesn't want to ask the ultimate question he wants to know, which is what state have you been in? So that lets me know where you crossed. He wants to ask other questions. So they're not, so they're not like, this is the thing I need to lie about. Cause he really just wants to know the answer. I like, he still came off as menacing to me in this because I didn't realize what his motivation was until they explained it afterwards. But then when you real, when you see the whole of the movie and you see the second one and you realize he's actually got, he's, he's not, he doesn't hate these people. Like, right. He needed the immigrants help in this, but he's not like, he's not anti-immigration. He's not, he's like against the cartels. That's his enemy. And so he's like, he doesn't, he doesn't have a bone to pick with these guys. Um, and they prove incredibly helpful. And when they're in the room, looking at the maps. So here's what I want to ask. And this is, I guess, the time we can do it. Why did they need to use the tunnel? Why couldn't they just drive across? Actually, I have two, I, I have okay, two answers. So, so one is they don't, I, I am almost certain that the cartel is watching every single border, right? To try to track when and who is coming in especially in light of the circumstances. And two, not only did they need to get to uh, Manuel Diaz's car as he's driving to uh, the boss's house, um, to Reyes's house, but they also, or not to... Uh, we, we know who you're talking about. Not yeah, Reyes's, Faust, Fausto's house. Fausto, to, to Fausto's house. Um, but they needed like some kind of mechanism to get into Manuel's car to get up there. And I think it was a shot in the dark, what they would find. At the very least, though, at the other end of their tunnel, they're going to find people who work with Diaz and Fausto and work for him and can get their attention as opposed to some random car. Like, it worked out well that they happened upon the police officer. Um, well, well they, they set up in the hotel room right before that it's most likely going to be a cop, um, which should have been foreshadowing that this is when our cop friend came in. Although I think at that point you may have seen him picking up drugs at a different location. I don't exactly remember the timeline of that. You, you, you do, but it kind of, that's a really actually a great point to bring up because at that point they do all that just so Benicio del Toro can have a cop car to pull over Diaz. Right. And you're like, well, why? And, and you have, this third party that's radioing, radio, radioing Benicio del Toro being like, target up ahead, target on route 64, blah, 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 blah. And um, you're thinking, well, if they know exactly where he is, why can't they just, you know, circumvent the, the caves, forget the police officer and just go straight to the motherfucker's car? Yeah, I, th I think one line of added dialogue explaining like, hey, he, they'll know if he went through um, 
because like they'll know if cops went through because and we can't just send Benicio because he's known all over Mexico by the people that work in this this industry. Even the cop when he pulls up is like Medellin. Yeah, yeah. Like his his face is known. So I, I guess I get that. Or maybe just how good of a shot he was. Maybe that's why he's like Medellin. But I think like a, just one line of explanation of like, we can't have any trace of us being there, which is probably what it is. It's like, we can't have any trace of American officials, CIA, DOD, FBI. We can't have us being in the country at the time that this hit happens. So we need to go through where it can't be. Maybe that's it. But I think it, there could have been some explanation on it. What I found um, really interesting is that as they were going through the tunnels um, and they're taking out all these guys, right? They're, they're full of people doing drugs or not, not just doing drugs. Uh, just The tunnels are just full of people snorting coke. No. Um, you know, the cartel are in these tunnels and they're just killing them all. And then you get to the cop. Um, it is later mentioned that Emily Blunt took the wrong tunnel. And that's how she ended up uh, in front of Benicio del Toro, where she shouldn't have been. Um, what if there was a wrong tunnel? And if they were worried about them doing that, shouldn't someone have been on her? to like not let her do that wouldn't that have been a priority in the in this matter yes it, i think it was right so i think that the way it happens is she and daniel kalua are are in the tunnels going and they're supposed to go left and she her gun gets shot right like she gets shot at and her gun goes down and then daniel kalua goes stay on my six so yeah, so, so she sees Josh Brolin turn left and she sees Benicio go straight the wrong way, not behind Josh Brolin. And so she follows him to see what's up. And that turned out to be a very big mistake on her part. Maybe, maybe not for, for, for movie purposes, it was great. I, I also think the reason they weren't on her is because they thought so little of her. Um, like the main military guy who was running the show was just, First of all, such an unbelievable dick to both of them. I didn't understand why he was so hostile. These are like FBI agents. Like, you don't have to be like a complete asshole. Like, don't fucking shoot my men. And then at the end, he's like, uh, Josh Boland says like, perfect op, like flawless. And he's like, yeah, except those two assholes. And I was like, what did they do? Like, what did they do? Why are like, what did they do? I just keep saying it. What did they do? I don't understand. Why, why are they assholes? they're also the only reason we're able to do any of this on the u.s in the u.s right they can only do it on u.s soil because of them i was wondering if they would have just followed through with it anyway if they'd backed off and then benicio would have showed up for her doorstep me like here sign this saying you were there (laughs) (laughs) um it would have been a lot less impactful because she wasn't just shocked by him at that point um also Okay, so this is one of the things that I really feel like separates Sicario from every other like drug smuggler movie or or whatever. Um, Let me ask you this, Garrett. From that point where Emily Blunt comes back outside the cave and has her confrontation with Josh Brolin, From the beginning of the movie to that point, 
who is our main character of the film? Emily Blunt. From the point where Benicio... He, he wants you to say Benicio. No, no, it is Emily Blunt. He's absolutely right. From Shut up, David. From the point where Benicio Del Toro takes um, Diaz's car hostage from the end of the movie, who is our main character? I misunderstood you. This, this time it's Benicio. Oh, yeah, now it's Benicio, 100%. 100%. That switch of perspective from switching main characters um, two-thirds into the film was such a what-the-fuck moment for me. I was like, this, is, this could go incredibly well, and it did, or horribly wrong and confusing and like totally kill the movie, which it didn't. What was your thought when you saw that like very obvious shift happen? So I actually saw it happen earlier than that. I, the way that I view, I guess, I, I don't know that I did. I, I don't remember from the first time I saw it because it's, it's been a while and I've seen it so many times. But my takeaway is anytime they're south of the border, it is Benicio Del Toro's story. And anytime they're not, it is Emily Blunt's story, both wow. in terms of perspective and like who the camera shows us more. Like, like not to harp on the border scene, but after the shooting, when the car starts moving and Benicio Del Toro like opens the trunk and just hops in, the, I'm just like, I would just, just give him my life, just like I trust you. That's really interesting. I never looked at it that way. I um, kind of makes me, even though I watched it literally like nine hours ago, makes me want to watch it again. Um, from that point of the movie onward, um, it doesn't ever go back to Emily Blunt's um, narrative. I mean, even the, even if you want to talk about the scene between the last scene between her and and um, Del Toro, is like it's still his playing field. He's still, I felt like he was still the guy who controlled the narrative at oh, that that's, point. That's a good point. And that is in the U S and he is without question, the main character in those scenes. That's, yeah. that's, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, but the focus of the start of the scene is on her and the whole scene is about like her decision. I don't want to talk about that scene right now. Cause I have a lot of questions about it when we get to it, but I, I can see it both John ways. Arthal is in this movie. Yeah, so we're not there yet. Let's get to there, though. But one thing is I do like the scene with all the, like, the immigrant guys in the hotel room, and it seems like they're getting treated pretty nicely. Like, they seem to be enjoying themselves. And they're all pointing, like, oh, you go here, you go here. You can't go to this spot. And, uh, and then uh, Benicio's like, all right, this is the, where the tunnel is. This is where we cross. And they're all like, whoa, 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 buddy, back off. Like, they all, like, don't do that. And he explains, he's like, this used to be the best spot to cross because there was water on the other side and da, da 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 And he's like, and now like, you know, you can't go there. But I think that's a really cool, like establishing scene. The next part is the bank stakeout, which is, I think a really cool scene. Don't yeah. go in the bank. As soon as he says, don't go in the bank. You, I totally know what, like what he meant. Right. Yeah. I didn't, same. She, she should have known. And then if you didn't know her face on the camera, like in like, Black and white, but very good definition. I was like, okay, yeah, like this is this is what's up. But I think those are the most colorful, rememberable uh, rubber bands I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, they are Livestrong bracelets and never forget, okay? Are they? 
They're they're not like the yellow ones from from um Lance Armstrong where they're like live live strong or live free and die hard or whatever. It was, it was live strong. I had one. Whatever. Um it was like you know how after those came out it was popular every- to have like every fucking color under the rainbow with like anything said on right. it. It was one of the it was one of those but it was like pink, purple and white and it I don't know what it said on it. That was just like one of those movie things where it's like we have to make them this color even though it's kind of stupid because like we need the audience to make the connection and they're they're too dumb (laughs) they're not going to make it so we have to make them like blue and purple pinkish and and we could totally use the yellow live strong ones and that would totally work and totally be rememberable but we would be sued out of our ass if we did it so we can't no, they probably just i mean lance probably needs money at this point so <clears throat> i i do love the heimlich uh, if do you know the heimlich because she's going to try and swallow that so you need to get that out of her mouth and then the dude raises his arm in the air like he, like he's wrestled an alligator like i got her like i got it right so uh, emily blunt makes a very strong argument like this is a case let's let's make this case like come on like this is actually prosecutable and i love that josh brolin just looks at her and it's like first off like this is a small amount of money and second like she's just a drug mule like she does she anyone can she's basically a a nothing burger the woman who withdrew the money i don't think he wanted to make a case she wasn't talking about making a case on this woman the blonde woman she was talking about making a case on manny diaz because he had like I love the like the loan balance reveal of like he has a negative loan balance of seventeen million dollars and like she's like oh we can get this and he, and <laughs> Roland's just like no we can't like th- this is not going to stick like any good lawyer is going to have that money back immediately like there's no case here well, obviously an expert in finance and can explain this but did you see how guilty the bank manager looked oh too? my gosh I thought he was going <laughs> to pee his pants he's just terrified and then they zoom in on the bank security camera just to remind you don't go in the bank yeah i i also think yes maybe the nine thousand it does stay below that limit but it's also still super suspicious like i think it would still draw attention but because that bank manager is probably crooked it's not drawing attention so he's 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 definitely getting paid um are you are you saying like like emily bond thought that this could have been like an Al Capone moment where it's like, oh, we'll get him for this small thing, even though he's done like all these illegal things. Yeah, but then also too, she's, once again, it's this combat in her mind. She's still thinking small because she's like, we can get Manny Diaz and they're like, fuck Manny Diaz. We're not, that's not the goal. It's Fausto is the goal. Right. Um. And she's known this too. She gets all mad. She goes to her boss, but they've told her this from the start is like, we want Manny to get sent back to Mexico so we can find Fausto, the number third person in this cartel. It's also a little ironic, right? Because one of the few questions that Josh Berlin asks about her before hiring her is, has she worked any cases? And they're like, no, she, she doesn't actually work cases. She just knocks on doors. And he's like, oh, good. I like her already. Because like, she doesn't actually care about getting and prosecuting these guys. She cares about finding, finding the bad guys. And that's exactly what Brolin wants to do. Except she has this unpacked emotional, like, moral compass that 
she cannot get away from, which is just so, it, it leads her to do some really questionable things in the end. I, I guess we'll get to that. David hates it when I skip around, but. I mean, you just covered a, the end of the movie for 10 minutes. She, she, I know, it must have irked the shit out of you. I let it go for so long, and I was like, all right, motherfucker, let's get it back. But you, you've got to, I, I kind of wish they hadn't been so on the nose with how stupid it was for her to go in the bank. Like showing her on security camera and then showing the security camera. I, I still think it was a little up in the air. And I also think the fact that it played out so quickly um, was interesting. Real quick, before we get to burn thought, because I know that's what we're all dying to talk about. I, her going to her boss was crazy. Like just crazy to me. Oh, and to then, daddy? Yeah. And then I love the boss coming back to her because she thinks this is going to be a guy who's going to tell me like, yeah, let's go after this 17 million. And he's like, we do this shit all the time, Kate. Like, do you feel like we're winning out there? He's like, you've been put on something bigger. And I already talked about the lines of like, the boundaries have been moved. So like, th- you're fine. Oh, well, and then what Josh Brolin is initially recruiting her, it's like, you know, in 18 months, every single one of these houses that you raid is going to be rigged with explosives. Like, we have to do this now. Because how many cops died in that raid? At least the two who were unlocking it. Well, yeah, those two people, and then yeah, all the other people that. Died no, there's a third that. guy. There's a third guy. Oh, when, you brought uh, brought them the bolt cutters, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> can't forget about the bolt cutter guy. Um, what's what's really kind of funny about this um, trickle down system, um, informational trickle down system, is that Emily Blunt gets all this information from either her boss or Josh Brolin being like, are you actually, do you actually feel like you're doing anything? We're actually moving mountains. Right. And it's, it like takes her a second to process it. She's like, ah, damn, I guess they're right. Right. And then, um, David Kalula's character is like the same thing. He's like, Emily Blunt, should we be doing this? Is this legal? What are we doing here? And she's like, listen, we're actually moving mountains. Like she's just taking what they're regurgitating to her, like regurgitating it back to him. And uh, I just think she, that she can never agree with anyone. It's like no, she, she yells, she, she yells at Brolin. She's like, "What you're doing is wrong." And then Dan Kulia is like, "What he's doing is wrong." He's like, "Well, actually, if you really think about it, exactly, <laughs> exactly." I'm like, whose side are you on, bitch? So, Burnthal. I love seeing, I love that you can just watch a movie and Bernthal pops up and you're just like always excited to see him. And what's crazy to me about Wind River. Him, exactly. And that's part of my that, point is. That's also Taylor Sheridan. I know. You, you both said this. But what's crazy to me about him is if you slick his hair back, he just looks like he should be some like enforcer in mob movies and that like should be the part he plays. But he's so fucking versatile in everything from like this to Wind River playing just like a, like a sweet character. He can do rom-coms. And then him and like what the character you think he should play is Wolf of Wall Street. But like- it, it, Well, he's also Lee Iacocca in- uh... Exactly. And that's like a completely different character than anything you well, see. He's also he, the Punisher. Yeah, yes, he is. We can do this all night if you guys wanted to. No, but and if you, you think about it, point. What's, what's really funny about him is that even in Wind River where you say he plays a sweet guy, when he's pushed to the edge, he becomes like this like guy who, who sees red, right? He becomes this just monster of a dude. Actually, he would have been a great 
Bruce Banner Hulk. Now that I think about it, but still, still could be. I mean, they're gonna make they're gonna make more Avengers movies. <laughs> um, what what's what's funny about his character, um, or any of his characters, is he is so versatile. But I feel like he's still typecast as this normal dude who, at some point in his role, has to go berserk mode. Yeah, I. I first of all in the scene love when they start out with the classic scene of people walking into a bar and there being no room but then right where the camera is shooting a spot opens up because the guy's gotten his drink and it always works out perfectly and it's 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 so funny to hear you say how movies work because now I'm I'm like interested in an in a movie that would only entertain you specifically David but a guy who could never get a seat at the bar because it's always full and the fucking camera's always getting in the way of shit well, that's the that's the comedy version of this where it's just like that's like night at the roxbury type stuff as soon as you see Bernthal, though you I think you did you guys know he was going to be bad I as soon as I saw him I was like that right, he's like he's bad he's not a good person it came to a surprise for me. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I thought he was going to be like a cool cameo and maybe he'll get involved in the action because like you say, he's versatile. He could do it all. Um, and then when they got romantically involved, I was like, this, this feels like the sex appeal part of the movie, right? Like, they're just like, okay, they need viewership. And then, not to jump too far ahead, when you get that shot of the you know, live strong knockoff bracelet. I was just like, oh shit. I loved how they had to add another character. So Reggie wasn't just a third wheel. They just add this girl that Reggie's hitting on. Daniel Kaluuya. Well, he, he had to find her because he's busy being in love with Emily Blunt. Why? Why was he just carrying around this very obvious band in his pocket? Like why? Like he, he'd probably gotten paid earlier that day. That was how I took it. Just throw it away don't don't carry it in the fbi agent's house so i guess here's the part where i get confused was he there's was he sent there specifically to to keep was, an eye on her to keep an eye on her not to kill her he, he was sent, he was supposed to get info from her right right yeah like find out how much she knew right yep yeah he um, was trying this was like a long con where does he was having sex with her count as gathering info Oh, is that what Josh Roland did? I mean, is that what Vinicio del Toro did in that interrogation room? Maybe. That's just a perk. That's a perk of the job. (laughs) It's a perk of the job. You know, uh, when and and uh, and we'll talk about that. You know, the the struggle scene. Um, But when he's in the back of the car, um, crying. That's another huge, versatile uh, John Bernthal moment is that he can play a sniveling, like, little bring dude so well also. I love the eye, like, the eye skin grab. Yeah, yeah. And then I also, but when he sticks the finger oh. in there, I'm like, dude, just, just move that way. <laughs> no, I love away. how they started torturing him with uh, wet willies. Uh, I thought that was great. <laughs> just well, move away like- from the willy. When he just goes, <laughs> this and that. What That's what Gamma should have done. <laughs> no, I, I just like when Josh John Bernthal goes, "Okay, guys, I'm in over my head." <laughs> it's like 
It took you this long to figure just, that out. He just wouldn't answer their questions. They asked him a specific question. He's just like, okay, okay. I understand that you're angry with me. Um, ba- back it up just a second. I really, like, this is one of my major, like, Emily Blunt's character in this. Could have acted so much cooler when she saw the band. And she's just so obvious that she's like, oh, shit. Like, something bad is it? Like, she immediately tips off Bernthal. No one has a good poker face. Well, it, so my, my thought is if the gun hadn't gone off, because Benicio Del Toro is clearly keeping an eye on her. If the gun hadn't gone off, would, would he have known to come in and, and help? I, yeah, I don't. I think once that guy goes in, Benicio's like, this is suspicious and I'll stay close and maybe he's listening. Um, but it took him a while to get in, so maybe not. It's just a perspective of Benicio del Toro being like, "Huh, this uh, this romantic uh, bar pickup is very suspicious." Just anything like romantically involved, he finds suspicious. I also like speaking of how we talked about the versatility of Bernthal and the badassness of Benicio del Toro when Emily Blunt is kind of like processing. She's like, "I just, you know, I almost had sex with my hitman." And Benicio Toro just goes, he's no assassin. Like, just dismissing Bernthal as not a threat. Like, that guy is a peon. Well, and she's just trying to make the point of, like, I just tried to have sex with this, like, bad guy. Like, I'm not good at my job. And he's like, no, no, he wasn't going to kill you. <laughs> and he didn't even really, he, was, he just wanted information you knew about us. Like, we're the important ones. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't his intention to kill her, but I'm pretty sure if he kept choking her out, she would have just died there. Oh, no, no. At the point of her seeing the band, she's dead. There is no going back from it. Like, he has to kill her or his cover's blown. Yeah, but his job wasn't to kill her. Yeah, he didn't go there with that. Right, I understand that. Yeah, I get that. But, yeah, he he was... If he just throws away the band, he gets to have sex... Or never pulls it out of his pocket. Gets to have sex with Emily Blunt. Well, the keys, I guess, were sticking into his leg. That, I understand. You just take off the whole pant. You're going to take off your pants anyways, right? Yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. Or, or if Emily Blunt just, I mean, he doesn't get to have sex with her, but if she just doesn't immediately acknowledge that she knows what the band is. Right. Like yeah. She could have just been like, I had too much to drink. Like, I got to do this. I got to lay down. I don't know. I got to pee. I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, wait. I got to grab my gun on my way to the bathroom. One moment, please. She hadn't had sex in a while, too, so she could have just... But the the other part is like as soon as he he doesn't realize he pulls it out, as soon as he sees it, if he sees it before she lets on that she notices it, he's gonna know that she noticed it. He's not gonna think that she did. It's too distinct. Well, one thing that I I really want to say about this scene, and I feel like we're talking it a little bit to death at this point, but how he goes about trying to see where he stands with her. And he like puts her sh- his hand on her shoulder and she grabs his hand and he grabs her arm and they have like a little bit of a tussle, but not really. It could be just played off as like, like maybe drunk stumbling, but then as it gets more rough, then it turns into something fearful. And I, and I thought the progression of that was so um, gradual and it was so well done. What, did you guys notice that? Well, 
she yeah. does the big push. Well, and the big push was the enticing moment. That was yeah. like, yeah. That's when, that's when you know it's over. The inciting um, moment. Did you say enticing? I said enticing. You like the push? On a, on a, on a <laughs> either very soonly released episode or one that might have already been released. You, you made the same mistake. I did. We are now to what I have called hotel room tunnel day scene, which is they're all back in the hotel room. The army guys are there. And this scene is just to explain what's about to happen. But it also, once again, is them talking right in front of Emily Blunt about what's going to happen. They're like, uh, we're going through the tunnel. We're going to create a diversion. We're placing an agent in Mexico. So she knows someone is getting put in Mexico. And I, I like how the one guy's like, hey, I need to fit your dude with the locator. Even though Alejandro is standing right next to Josh Brolin as the guy tells Josh Brolin this. So it's like, you could have just said it to Alejandro, but it's supposed to be a secret, I guess, that Alejandro is going to be the guy to go. Even though I think everyone knows that Alejandro is going to be the guy to go, except for Emily Blunt. A little weird. Yeah, they also make the very clear point of being like, should we go over the rules of engagement? And Josh Bowen goes, no, let's save that for later. And then later it's like, shoot on sight. Yeah, well, and they, I think they do that because he doesn't want, he knows she's listening. And it's also like, it's going to be a very easy conversation because all the army dudes are gonna be like, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one aspect, and I know we've, we've talked about the ending quite a bit, especially Garrett and I have pretty much covered the entirety of the no, no, there's more. First half of the ending. First half of the ending of the movie. We um, dinner. We're, we're going to get to that in a second. Um, but I absolutely loved here. Again, here's where the cinematography comes into play in a, in a beautiful way. How uh, 90, uh, more like 70% of the cave shots are in that infrared night vision um, setting. And I thought the way they did that was putting us so much in their shoes. It was like, I, I, a little distracting at first, but now that I like had time to like really think about it, couldn't have been done a better way. Yep. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I was like, this is a little odd, but it's cool. And then the second time I'm like, it's just cool. <laughs> it's just cool. Yeah. The other thing is the shot of Benicio walking in with the knife. It may have been the army guy, but I thought it was Benicio. And just the shot of just the knife in the dark, like it's just a close-up of the knife as it's walking through, I thought it was really cool. And the two bodies that he left and the footprints that you could see because of the infrared, I thought that was cool too. Well, and also Benicio, like, don't follow me. I'll be fine. Like, no matter what you hear, I will be the one that's alive. So it's just like, you do your part. Um, right before this tunnel scene, though, I do like the reveal from Josh Brolin of like, finally letting them know like you're only here because the cia can't operate without you and so it's like you're just basically fucking ba like we're babysitting you you they have were to be so pissed well but at the same time it's like you don't actually want to be a part of it and i also think too if she had been more game and more like approved of what he did it wouldn't have just been that she would have been part of the team um well, it also mirrors the bank scene where she's like, so you used me as bait? And he's like, you used yourself as bait. 
Right. Yeah. And she had just went and told on them too. And it's like, if she hadn't told on them and if she hadn't been stupid and gone to the bank, if she had listened, like they probably, although it didn't change what she did in the mission, she did the exact same thing. They were told to stay back and they didn't stay back. They went all the way in the tunnel. They were in the, the back, but they all went in. So I, uh, I love how the first one is having this like debate, like internal moral debate about like, who Emily Blunt tells on like about Josh Brolin's wrongdoings or yada, yada, yada. But then the second Sicario is just like, yeah, the whole American government knows about this like illegal shit he's pulling and they're all cool with it. So you should be too sort of thing. There was no one she could tell except maybe the news, I guess. Even then. No, I don't think that. I mean, she is in a pretty shitty situation ever since she agrees to be a part of the the task force or whatever, right? Like when she agrees to work with Josh Brolin, she is immediately shooting. Like she's screwed at that point. She's also susceptible to being a fall person. I was going to say yeah, fall. 100%. I was going to say fall guy, but it's 2021. Yeah. Like, like, like forced to sign something at the end. I don't know. But that's, I mean, that's like the best case scenario. I'm talking about if shit goes wrong and they put it at her feet and she goes to jail or prison. Yeah. She was used by Josh Brolin the entire movie. That's why he wanted no lawyers. Right. Last thing before the tunnel is we finally see that the Mexican cop is dirty. Um, Alon, do you know who plays that Mexican cop? What else he's been in? David, I don't. Why don't you tell me? He is an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. slash HYDRA, and he's in the elevator with Captain America in the Winter Soldier scene where he beats everyone up. Oh. You probably recognize him from all those memes with uh, Captain America like saying something to him and him saying something back and then them all beating up Captain America. That was him? Yeah, that's him. Oh, that's crazy. He looks, he looks different with glasses. Um, I love, too, the, as we get back to the tunnel, but when they say the rules of engagement, he's like, weapons free. And like, there's a shot of uh, Emily Blunt, and she's just like, oh, this is fucked. Like, this is so bad. But like, but she keeps going. It's once again the contradiction of like, I, this is wrong, but I have to see it through. We're not, you know, I want to be a part of it, but the, you know, it's illegal. Um, the last thing too is the the explanation in the hotel room of, by the army guys really makes it a lot easier to follow that scene, and it's really dark, and then sometimes in night vision. And it, it makes it a lot easier to understand when they explain it ahead of time. And the explanation makes sense to be in there because, like, this is the mission. Oh, I wanted to say, what was your reaction when Emily Blunt comes out of the tunnel on the other side? Oh, yes. Uh, when she comes back out and she just socks Josh Brolin in the, in the face? No, the first when she comes out in Mexico. On the other side? Oh, okay. Um... I thought I well first of all when Benicio del Toro comes out of that tunnel and you don't even see him but he shoots the guy who's not a cop that was alarming I was frightened um and then the <laughs> uh when she comes out and she's pointing the gun when he shoots her I was like holy shit like he just killed our main character um but no she's I love how she's not only wearing a bulletproof vest, but he knows exactly where to shoot to knock her off her feet. But she's okay because she is wearing a bulletproof vest. Yeah, I love the don't ever point a gun at me again. 
and you learn later on in the movie, but you can kind of see it throughout that he like has a special rapport with her for some reason. And it's because um, she reminds him of his deaf daughter, which we find out in, in the second movie, which seems like just a plot convenience to put that in there. Well, actually, compared to the second movie, I, I guess you could say that a lot of people remind him of his deaf daughter. Yeah, he is very liberal with who reminds him of his daughter. He's just, he misses her a lot. He, he projects her. He's trying to see her all around him. But if, she, if Emily Blunt didn't remind him of her, he would have shot her in the face. Although, actually, maybe not, though, because they really can't afford people to die on this mission. Well, because, they, can't, like, they can't afford her to die. Yeah. Well, her, but anyone. You don't want really anyone to die, which is also when uh, she punches Brolin, which I loved. And then uh, Daniel Kaluuya starts, like, fighting them, and they put him on the ground, and he's like, just let it happen, buddy, which is also, like, oh, it's, a little, it's a weird way to say that. And you're also have already been such an asshole. Um, like, they weren't actually going to shoot Kaluuya. They weren't going to actually kill Emily Blunt. They could not afford to kill those people, one, because like, it's just like very, it would be very obvious that you were the ones that shot them. And two, it'll draw attention to this mission that's sort of on the edge of what you're allowed to be doing. Um, he, here's where I think Emily Blunt um, went the wrong way with this, is that <laughs> in the tunnel and in action afterwards. Um, but she punches Josh Rowland, which I'm actually okay with 100%. He totally deserved it. The thing is, though, is that if you're in this situation, why would you ever say, oh, I'm going to tell everyone. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut at all. I'm going to tell everyone. I'm going to sing like a canary. I mean, why would, you, why would you do that? Just keep your fucking head down. Keep cool. And if you're going to tell someone, tell someone. Just don't announce it about to the guy you're going to tell on. Also, you just got shot twice, and now you're threatening people like, that's that doesn't make sense you're working with the cia you've seen them do a lot of things that you've called illegal and you're working with a basically an assassin a sicario why why would you which once again we've already talked about the fact that it doesn't really seem like she has anyone she could tell about this based on the second movie although the second movie happens way after and because it's dealing with like isis and terrorism it's like the situation is a lot different. So maybe she could rat to people and get them in trouble. But her um, boss already said the goalpost moved. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other thing I love about this is Josh Brolin's speech, I think is really great. He's like about the, you went up the wrong tunnel and you saw things you shouldn't have. Um, and he's like, you know, basically like, this is what we got to have to do. Because my life has been saved twice by Alejandro, once because he, he stopped that, the guy who was going to kill me, Bernthal, and then two, because he should have shot me in the face, but instead he shot me in the chest. When I find out that this dude who has been really good to me um, was, had his wife's head chopped off and his daughter dumped in a vat of acid, I'm probably going to be like, okay, yeah, I'll let him, I'll let him have this one. I'll probably just... And a, and a Sonora guy gets killed? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with it now. What really blows my mind is that she actually ends up, I guess, not telling anyone, right? Because there's no really that scene and there's no repercussions to any of that. So you have to assume that that 
like what Josh Brolin said to her convinced her not to tell anyone. But the fact that you don't agree with, with me, David? Well, uh, let's just do it now because we've talked about this out of order and we'll get to the dinner scene in a second. But I, I think that she was given the choice of die and we're still not going to get in trouble or you know, sign this piece of paper. And then you, which by the way, she signs that piece of paper. She could have still told on them. Like it's this piece of paper that goes in a file. Like, no, I guess what I was, I was going to say is that she's so reluctant to sign the piece of paper. I'm like at that fucking point, just like, why, why even put up a fight? Why even get to the point where he has to put the gun up inside your chin to the point, like just sign the fucking thing. I mean, I mean he, he went from asking her to sign it to putting a gun in her chin in like 30 seconds. And he was like, this is going to be a suicide. Like, you know, I, no one will get in, like, nothing will change from this. I mean, I, I would sign it. You guys would both sign it? We agree? Sign yeah, it? I would have signed it the first time he asked. He walks in my door. I say, what do you need? Yeah. Benicio. Okay. <laughs> Benicio, why do you have my gun? Do you want a sandwich? I have drinks. Uh, what's happening? Maybe we I, get chips. What did I do wrong? I apologize and I'm really sorry I heard about your wife and daughter. That that's the thing though. Like once I like first of all, Benicio's clearly going in to kill a really bad guy, which is a win. My boss has already told me, like, hey, a lot of what you're doing is, is you know, people who, who get elected have decided this is okay. Um and Benicio's been nice to me and he's getting revenge. Like I I just I know there's like this moral, like what's actually right, but I'm like me, I'm okay with what, what Benicio, I, like, I'm like, okay, I understand. So now for like the actual part of the mission that they <laughs> kind of leading all this up to, right? Uh, Benicio del Toro finally like is in the cop car with the cop and is tracking down Diaz and I think is one of the coolest and, you know, David, you said you don't really see Benicio del Toro going like full badass. Um, but I think from the point where he tells the cop to get out of the car to the point where he kills um, the, the dude um, at the dinner table, uh, I think really shows his set of skills from hitman, assassin, at like just ninja um the whole like the whole thing um i wanted a little more john wick but i understand that that doesn't make like a very like <laughs> highfalutin oscar worthy movie but for I, me, I for me the coolest part was when he convinced the um when diaz convinced the guard at the gate to say oh it's diaz let him in and then immediately shoot him after he already gave the okay almost before like he hung up <laughs> like did they hear that bullet on the other end because like silenced bullets aren't silent right uh you um, learned that in john wick do you think that he killed that cop because he was dirty or he just didn't care about killing him because he was dirty Here, you're shaking your head. He, he was a liability if you take Manny Diaz's car and you leave that cop alive, if I'm that cop, the first thing I'm doing is calling every boss I know to, to tell them what happened. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could have like handcuffed him and put him in his trunk or something, but 
I, the line before that though, when he's like, what you do now is for your son and your wife and son is almost like, it's better that you're dead <laughs> for them, for their sake. I'm going to kill you. Um, and also he tells Mandy Diaz, he's like, take me to Fosto or I'm going to have 20 dudes rape your daughter. And I was like, holy fuck. Like they just keeps using that threat. Like, well, and I like when, when Manny Diaz like goes on the ground, he's like, do you know who I am? Like, I'm a jefe. Do you know who I am? And he's like, yeah, we're going to go to your jefe. <laughs> like, no, You're not good enough for me. Like, I, you don't understand. That it, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, he calls himself El Jefe to the cop. And then he goes, like, take me to the real one uh, is pretty cool. I, I also like the way he gets in of, like, after they get past the first guard, uh, Manny's like, well, what are you going to do with me once you get in there? And then the next scene is like him driving up as his throat's been slashed. It's, it, and then the, the three very pre- precise shots. That was so cool. And then the whatever his, um, the radio communicator that he has is telling him there's six left and they, they don't know where they are. And I'm thinking like six armed guards. There's just six people. Do you think the number three person in the cartel who is this rich would have more than five guards at his house? Five guards feels like a lot of guards. Like I guess in no one movie world. And no one knows where you live. But David wants a David wants a dead man down situation where it's just a cut, like a hundred people in there and like a dozen people in there. There should be a dude in a camera room at all times monitoring. And that camera room should be on a laptop in the closet of the guy. Un, 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 and pass, that laptop un, should not be password protected just in case you need to watch a video on it. Exactly. It's a very specific reference that not a lot of people get because not a lot of people watch that movie, but... I, I also too like that he says six people remain. He kills the guard and then he walks into the next room. He sees a maid and then he sees the four people at the table. And so he's like, okay, cool. Like alarms down. Like I'm not, I'll be fine. Like, and just walks across. Yeah. Um, I, if it was me in this situation and I am no hitman assassin, Sicario profesh. I think we can all agree on that. Um, if I just killed one, two, three, four, five, six guys, not including all the men in the tunnel, like hours ago, oh, seven because of the cop. Okay. So seven guys. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a maid. That maid is being shot without any hesitation. Yeah, but he has a code. No, no, no. I'm saying I would have panicked. I would have been like, who's there? Boom. Yeah, but you wouldn't have made it past the gate. <laughs> no, I don't. I wouldn't would have gotten the tunnel. <laughs> I think here's an obvious question, but would you guys have... Sh- you guys are Alejandro. Would you have shot the kids? I, I would know. cut off the wife's head and throw in both of those kids in a vat of acid. Eye for I an eye. Sort of I, don't, I don't think I could have shot the kids. I would have still shot the wife because as, as his wife, she has some level of culpability. She knows what's going on. Maybe she can't control that. I don't know. She. Uh, no, I would have shot the kids. Because think about it this way, right? You don't shoot the kids. The kids grow up wanting revenge on you. 
you die of old age, you have a daughter or a son. Now those kids have to get revenge. You're just creating like a bit. And then they kill your daughter or son. And then they, but you have grandkids. And those grandkids are now going to grow up wanting revenge on them. It's just a vicious cycle, David. But in this world, you're Alejandro and you're not scared of maids in the kitchen. So you like aren't well, worried about these two kids. You're Alejandro. You already have, no, you have nothing left to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what's, a, what's a couple of kids? I don't. The, the other thing ab- about this too is like Fausto is like for a guy who's staring at, he's staring at a person who wants him dead, who he's killed his wife and daughter. He is not handling that situation very well. Like he's very like derisive to him. And he's like, Oh, you know, what would your wife think about this? And Oh, Oh, your, your daughter, you know, it wasn't personal. And he's like, fucking personal to me like <laughs> which i, I feel like is every every bad guy's monologue says something about oh it wasn't personal That's uh, the, I, I did like his point when he's like the people who sent you here like what's the difference between me and them and like <laughs> acid acid it's just vats completely of acid. ignores just completely ignores the question and is just like like no like i've did nothing you say or do changes the outcome Right now, what's going to happen is you are going to watch your family die, and then you are going to die. Well, Fausto doesn't seem to realize his family is going to die because he's like not in front of my boys, and then he says, "Time to meet God," which he kind of gives him his wish. He's like, "I'm not going to kill you in front of your boys because they're already dead." Fausto doesn't seem to understand that Benicio has done everything it takes to get to this moment, and now you're going to convince him to stop, like. Like you just, he just killed seven guys. He went through the tunnel. Like all he wants to do right now is make your life, the last few minutes of it, the worst they could be. So say you're Alejandro. Here, here's a question. Say you're Alejandro and you just, you actually Garrett, you made it out of the tunnel. Congratulations, you made it through the tunnel. You killed the seven people on a way that it takes you to get to that dinner table. Now you're at the dinner table with him and his family. You have the gumption to kill his wife and his two kids. Now, for me, if I made it this far, I wouldn't, because me being Alejandro, have to go through the rest of my life with my wife and daughter dead. I would not have finished him off that quickly. Would you have, or did you think that was gonna he was gonna relish in that moment a little longer? I have no idea what I would do, but I I like how he asks him to eat dinner and then changes his mind and just shoots him. I thought he might uh, rape him. <laughs> Why does it always come to that with you? Because he's like, he kills the children and wife, and he's like, oh, now we're alone. <laughs> Tell the maid to go home. <laughs> Tell the maid to go home. I, yeah, I don't think Alejandro's a torturer of, like, I think the, the, he is a torturer. But <laughs> he, in water, a sexual, he waterboarded in a, his cousin. In a sexual way. I think the only thing that may have gotten Alejandro to stop is if he's like, I'll give you number two and number one. Actually, give- I, I, I think the other thing would be, I, I, I'll give you your wife and daughter back. I have them. Never even killed them in my basement. Well, he had to have seen the beheaded wife, right? Like, that's how you know that she was beheaded. You, you, you assume, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it certainly lit a fire in Alejandro. I love in the second one, we learned that, um, that that happened. And I guess we kind of get it in the first one that that happened to him because he was a prosecutor for the other side, right? And 
to act as a message to not like mess with the cartel that's what happened to him and i love in the second one he says so i became a stronger message it's a badass line that is well that my, my response if when you say like i would give you if right fausto says i'll I'll give you number one and number two if you keep me alive alejandro would just look at him and say i'll get them and then he would kill him like like don't don't worry their their day is coming they'll 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 join you i um the only thing left i want to say about this movie and garrett like texted me about it but the you are not a wolf and this is the land of wolves now is such a badass line it's clear that benicio cut all the lines except for his badass ones. He's like, um, I, will, I will keep this. I will keep this. Now, now we're pretty much at the end um, of the movie where, he, where we meet Emily Blunt on the balcony. And I do, I do, lo- I do agree with you. He, he kept all his badass lines. Because the, the part where you just hear his voice, you don't even see him yet. And you hear his voice say, um, I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't doing, I wouldn't be doing much standing on balconies. He said um, a lot better than that. He did yeah. say a lot better than that. So how did you say, David? Go ahead. Take it away. You shouldn't stand on balconies for a while. Something along those lines. I mean, I just wouldn't have stuttered like he did, but it's fine. You, you came around. The, the, also, the way that he cut his lines is not just to make himself a badass, but also, like, I don't know, to give him some humanity because he's the only one who even makes any reference to Emily Blunt's well-being after she is almost killed. Right, like he come when they're in the hotel room, planning the mission. He walks over to her. He's like, "How are you doing? How's your neck?" And she's like, "Oh, it's okay. Like, thanks." Whereas, um, no one else even like acknowledges it, except for um, her buddy. Who's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I thought Ted was a good guy. Like, ah, let me make this about me and not about you." The other thing I thought about this, and it's uh, another question, is I just assumed that Benicio would have killed her if she didn't sign. But he might not have been able to follow through with it. As the second movie kind of plays out, like, if you remind him of his, of his daughter, he will, like, <laughs> he will uh, try and keep you alive. So I, I am curious, like... If she called his bluff? If she was like, nah. Just, just fucking kill me. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if he could have done it. I disagree. He would have killed her and made it look like a suicide in an instant. There's a big difference between her, who is an FBI agent who was involved in this, and like a 14-year-old girl who's an innocent bystander who is used as bait. Spoiler Maybe. alert for the second movie. I haven't finished the ending, but, but before we leave off, what did you guys think about um, Emily Blunt grabbing her gun, going out to the balcony, pointing it at Benicio del Toro in the par- parking lot, and him just fucking staring her down until she like backed off well it's also i think he's a wolf (laughs) she's a sheep i love that you can hear the gun being put together before she comes out on the balcony i think it's a nice touch and i also just think it's once again like she hasn't been turned he's he's right she's not a wolf and this hasn't turned her into a wolf and like she can't do something that's very clearly illegal like she would have she would have gone to jail for that. She just shot a dude from her balcony. Like there's no getting around it. I mean, this guy is kind of a ghost. So maybe, but like, you know, it's, she's just, she hasn't become that. This hasn't changed her into that. 
And the fact that he knows that and doesn't even like think that he was going to be shot is also pretty cool. And like Emily Blunt has been put in the worst possible position like out of everyone for like nonstop for the entire extent of the movie, except for maybe Guillermo for a little bit of time there, depending on your interpretation of the torture scene. But like she's screwed. Her boss is like, no, 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 everything's fine. Listen to these guys, do what these guys say. Her friends are all like, this seems bad. She's like, this is illegal. Like she's just kind of in the worst position every single time in the movie. And her only reaction was to punch Josh Brolin once. Good for her on that. Pretty good punch. Um, okay, now we can talk about the second one. Did anyone notice that the girl, Isabella Reyes, is played by the same girl um, who played in, uh, who is Dora in Dora the Explorer, live action? I learned that in research, and that seems like a weird jump to go from her role in Sicario 2 immediately to Dora the Explorer. <laughs> She's more versatile than Bernthal. <laughs> yeah, Bernthal could be Dora. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Bernthal is a total boots. I don't know what you're talking about, but... He's a swiper. I um, The last thing about the Sicario 1, though, the scene at the end is obviously like very powerful with like the kids playing soccer, the dad's not there, they hear gunfire in the distance and they like barely stop the game. They just keep going. Cause it's like, this is what life is. Um, I think is like a very good way to end the movie. Sicario two. I think, like I said, I expected it to not be as well done. And I think it is, but at a certain point, the story starts going down a path and I think it corners itself to where there's no good way out. And then the way they choose out, to get out of that situation is one you see it coming and then it's so farcical that it's just like oh my god like i, I just the story goes in a direction that i didn't like and I, I really don't like like this i don't like that he's babysitting this girl trying to keep her alive the whole time like i i just having said that i did know that taylor taylor sheridan wanted to make this a trilogy and I think it's fine as a second movie if a third one comes out and kind of makes a complete story. Um, but overall, it's like, it's not as good. And also the, uh, the flip-flop of the government being all in and then like there's one bad thing happens in Mexico and they're like, that's it. That's, everything's reversed. All back it up now. I think it's just like, it's just like a stupid plot device. Like I, it doesn't, it's so weird to me. It's like you think it's going in one direction and then it, the movie completely turns in a direction that I don't think is that great. My, uh, my biggest issue with this movie is pacing. Um, in the beginning, it felt like it's so quick cut and like, all right, Benicio Del Toro is going to kill this guy and then kidnap this girl and blah, 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 blah. And then it's just like at the part where I am at now, um, like convincing like the, the scenes with the deaf guy that they meet cutting her hair and getting across the border seems so slow compared to the rest of what the rest of the movie has been. Um, it throws the pacing off for me. It almost feels like I'm watching two different films and it does in a way cheapen the quality of the movie to feel like where it's not a complete movie. It is, but it's not. And I think another thing of that is that 
Denis Villeneuve is not directing it, and I don't believe Roger Deakin is the cinematographer of this film, right? Or two? I don't know. There's no way he is. And for me that... Yeah, exactly. And so that just kind of seems like a less quality of a film. What are, what are your thoughts, Garrett? Um, I was really irritated with Catherine Keener thinking that Benicio Del Toro is expendable. It's like, did you not see the first movie? This guy is like, come on. What do you... She's completely miscast in this. Like, it's <laughs> like, it's so, I like her... Her, I think her character is also terrible, but it's like she doesn't fit it. I want like the, I don't know. She's like, she's playing that like tropey ball buster character, but it's just like, it's not very good. Also like Matthew Modine's character. I'm just like, they seem like they're, they seem like they're out of the B movie version of this. And the rest of the movie seems like a good Sicario movie. I want, and like, I, I really like Catherine Keener too. Like, I like her as an actress. In this, I'm just like, this is not the part for you. You know, should, you know who should be um, in her role? Who? Tilda Swinton. I was thinking, okay, follow me on this. I was thinking either um, Joan Allen. Yeah. Or. Um, Born Identity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, oh, shit, Jodie Foster. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're not getting Jodie Foster for that, but yes, Jodie Foster. Me, you're totally not getting Jodie Foster for that, but she would kill it. Inside Man Jodie Foster is perfect for that. That's, that's, what, that's what I want that character to be, so I think it's like kind of poorly written, but that's what I want that character to be, because especially when Matthew Modine's like, all right, you're in charge now, which I don't know if you got to that point yet, but it's not really that I'm important. Not, but- I'm not at that point yet. Matthew Modine at one point tells Catherine Keener, you're in charge now. Is Matthew Modine the president? No, he's the secretary of defense. He's oh. the guy, he's the, he's the guy from Stranger Things that you see. The white haired oh, guy? He, yeah, the, he's the one I thought the was. Silver the, Fox? He was the one that I thought was the president. Sorry. <laughs> I want, see, but I want Tilda Swinton because I want Michael Clayton Tilda Swinton because I don't want someone who seems to have their shit together so well to just right. write off Alejandro. Like, a very like wishy-washy indecisive Tilda Swinton who's like no we just gotta get rid of this guy and then Josh Brolin is like no you don't understand how valuable he is as an asset well that's a that's another big issue with this movie compared to the first one is I I felt like all the characters in the first Sicario were so deep they had so many levels and emotional value to them and all of these characters in this movie seem like one note like Josh Brolin is a yes man now and Benicio del Toro who fuck cares about him. And you know, it's like no one has depth in this movie. Isabella. Isabella is the only well-written character. And I have an alternate title for this movie. Oh my God. It's Sicario Logan's run. Have you ever, have you ever seen, have you ever seen Logan with, with like Wolverine? Taking oh, I thought isn't Logan's Run a movie? Yeah, Logan's Run is a movie, but we'll like, ignore that part about it. Um, no, but have you seen Logan with you know yeah. Hugh, Hugh Jackman? Yes, yes, we've both, we've both seen Logan. Yes. Okay, okay. I've also I've also seen Logan's Run. I have not seen Logan's Run. <laughs> it's probably a bad reference to me referencing Logan's Run in this. Maybe but, don't confuse us by using 
Logan's <laughs> run. Yeah, but Sicario 2, Logan about, doesn't seem about, as cool as Sicario 2, Logan's run. Okay. Day, day well, of Logan. Logan's run involves time travel, if memory serves. <laughs> okay. Benicio Del Toro's relationship with the little girl reminds me of Hugh Jackman's relationship in Logan with the little girl. Yeah, a completely total badass who meets a nice young girl who is also a completely total badass. Yeah. I think the only difference is that um, Benicio is still in his prime in this movie. Like, Benicio's old as shit in real life, but I mean, in this movie, he's still in his prime. <laughs> Not old as shit. I think he's, he's pushing 60. I think he was born in like 67. Oh my God. What the hell is Logan's run? What is this movie? You're such an idiot. Why does it look so fucking trippy? New episode? New episode. Um, I think having said all that though, and putting a bow on this, I really want to see a third one. I want Denis to come back, even though I think the direct, I think the director of this did a great job, and I do want to see like his zero zero zero. And um, I guess he did Gamora. He didn't do this movie. I've seen the movie. I have not seen the show. He but, did without remorse. You can skip that one. Yeah, I know. But the thing is, like, I think I don't blame him for this. I think the script is not great. I think the characters aren't great, and I think the way the direction of it, I don't like the story. But wait, so I you want, don't you don't blame the director, but you blame the three things the director is in charge of? No, the writer. Well, oh, the Taylor writer. Sheridan wrote both, and he, I'm, I, I, I suspect he's written a third or has drafts out there, right? But the thing is, by the time that comes out, given the age jump from Sicario one to Sicario two that Josh Brolin went through, he's gonna look a thousand years old in the third one. Maybe don't put Josh Brolin in it. You have to have Josh Brolin. And call it Sicario 3, Logan's Run. Just a suggestion. It involves time travel. It involves time travel. <laughs> and Farrah Fawcett is in it. Thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is Garrett. And this is Alon. And this is David. And I finally watched Sicario.